Coming to you from the heart of the Great White North. Welcome to the Canadian Prepper Podcast. Immerse yourself in the world of preparedness with insights from seasoned experts and a touch of Canadian practicality. Your go-to source for all things survival, resilience, and self-reliance. Now, let's kick off another episode packed with knowledge and strategies to ensure you're ready for whatever life may throw your way. Stay tuned and let the journey to preparedness begin. Welcome to episode 230 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast. We're recording February 11th, 2024. My name is Ian. I'm a homesteader on Vancouver Island who has no idea how OPSEC works, but I do like making propellant, propeller noises. So it's, I guess I'm the resident expert tonight. Um, Eric refused to take off his propeller beanie tonight. We had a big fight. He decided to show up, uh, take off at the last minute and not show up for the show. So here I am kind of like guest hosting, I guess. And I'm Jeff. I'm based in central Ontario. I'm a target shooter, ham radio operator, general overall handyman, and weather nerd. And I'm Terry. I live in sunny central Ontario, and I'm a starving indie author, terrible hunter, pathetic fisherman, and now I'm an aspiring drone pilot. Sorry, I had to add something there. Did I, uh, am I missing something here? Yeah. If you want to help uh, support the show... Destroy your OPSEC and buy some swag. We have both the Canadian Prepper Podcast t-shirt and the Tactical Velcro patch at www.prepperpodcast.ca. All proceeds help cover uh, our podcast costs and, you know, maybe Eric will come back at some point. Who knows? Yeah, for now. If, you, if you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes to submit a review whether you have where you found us. We want your feedback, good or bad, and we also invite you to reach out and tell us something that you learned this week. You can email us at, the, at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. All right. Everybody's in a new role tonight, so we're all like stumbling over everything. This is awesome. Yeah. Uh, we have some uh, high-altitude content for this episode. We're going to start off with some relevant news, update you on the personal preps, and we'll get into the main topic, which is drones in preparedness. All right. Uh, news time. I guess it would be, uh, I'll start off here. Um, relevant article so russia launched a 45 drone attack on ukraine a couple days ago it was successful so um interestingly enough so like when you have that many drones going in at once it causes you it's going to overwhelm the missile batteries that are sitting there because they're only designed for like one or two you know small bombers or fighters coming in so it kind of shows you the changing nature of warfare i guess with all this drone stuff so you can imagine down the road for cost effectiveness and not putting lives at risk and everything else. It's actually a very interesting development with this Ukraine thing. So <laughs> did, um, and I, maybe I'm getting this wrong, but there was that um, attack on the U S um, forces there in Jordan a few weeks ago, three, three U S service members uh, were killed. Yep. Um, I had heard that uh, that was also a drone attack, but what they did is they had the attack drone, follow a u.s drone into the area and the um i guess whoever was monitoring or whatever got confused and they identified the bad drone as a good drone and let it into the airspace and it bombed them wow and when you think about it like because there's no human in the airplane one drone could literally be flying on top of the other drone and they look like one return on the radar screen so 
it wouldn't be that hard to do and nobody's going to notice it if they're both unmanned right mm-hmm. yeah I, I i'm just like that that's just what i heard i can't verify any of that and but um that was that was one of the things that i heard so i kind of thought was kind of interesting if somebody could could do that and as you say if they're unmanned why not you could be one on top of the other yeah, and I think on, uh, I don't know if it was AliExpress or Timu or one of those, those, those sites, they were actually offering drones for sale, like military drones for sale that you can actually put a warhead on. And they were like <laughs> they were like 26000 a piece or something. So yeah. they, were, they were obviously selling them to somebody. And um, oh, they finally had to take them down about two weeks ago, I guess. But they, they literally had like the full-on military, like 500-kilo nose cone drone uh, wow. for sale, which was, I was like, wow, that's kind of bold. But yeah. <laughs> Anyway. Houthis are probably buying them for uh, attacking ships out in the in the Red Sea. Yeah, I'll take a gross or whatever, right? Because <laughs> they, yeah, they're using them too. Yeah, and, no, uh, it's amazing. You, yeah, it's, it's pretty popular. Right? Well, do you think about the the relative ease to, to learn how to fly something like that versus like training a bomber pilot or a fighter pilot, and then if the drone gets shot down, nobody gets hurt, and you can still yeah. reuse the pilot and everything else. It's actually it's cost effective for sure, right? Cost effective, a lot of bang for the buck. Because yeah. they're they're using million dollar missiles to shoot down these crappy old friggin' drones. Yeah, if you're right. shooting down a twenty thousand dollar drone with a million dollar missile, who's gonna yeah. who's gonna lose eventually, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, that's basically how they won Vietnam and and Afghanistan. Basically, is just a expense outlay. But mm-hmm. anyway, uh, on that note, Council of Foreign Relations, which is everybody's favorite uh, group with the prepper community, like uh, right up there with the WEF and everything else. But they had a, mm-hmm. an article here about how. The drone war in the Ukraine is transforming conflict, which I thought I'd throw a, a link in the show notes uh, to. And then also, PBS did a special that basically said the same thing. Uh, so down in the States, they had a TV show where, and a news article where they were basically just saying that, yeah, thanks to drones, don't expect to fight the same war over and over again. So mm-hmm. I thought it was, it was worth a worth a shot to take a look at anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, one other article I just want to throw in there, Quebec City. Uh just out of the blue, they just said, uh, yeah, we're banning the use of wood stoves immediately, like starting now. So no notice, just uh, all of a sudden they said due to air quality issues, which funnily enough, the air quality was actually good in Quebec City that day. Uh, but they banned wood stoves because of air quality concerns. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I read that over and I looked at a couple of other, other articles. Um, it's a bit of, I'm not saying that they've upscaled the... Uh, the article, but, um, it does, it, it was actually brought in in 2021. Uh, and it, and it does say that when the, um, the air quality reaches a certain level that, um, they ban all, um, not fossil fuel. I can't, Oh, they called it solid fuel, um, burning. doesn't matter whether it's a certified wood stove or not. If it uses what they call solid fuel, um, the exception they do say is uh, you are exempt if that's your only heating source. Um, I think it's a kind of a little funny being being the weather guy. A lot of the times in the winter when it is really, really, really cold, you don't have much wind. And the warm air above uh, the extreme cold caps the air from being able to circulate. And that's really when you do get um, some bad air times. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's when you are actually are going to need your uh, your wood stove or need your your other way to heat. So, um, yeah, because you get the inversion happening where the hot air is up high and it doesn't want to move because everything's where it wants to be, right? The cold air is yep. lower and the hot air is higher. Mm-hmm. And 
But I thought there was just Montreal that had that before, but I guess it's Quebec City now too. Uh, I don't think Montreal has it. And I was unaware of this Quebec City ban, even though it's been there since 21. Uh, what Montreal did is um, starting in October of this year, they banned any uh, any new uh, residential builds or any what they called significant um, remodels or whatever you do you're doing at your house that you can't have any fossil fueling fuel appliances so no gas stoves no gas dryers no gas water heaters no gas furnaces no none of that it's all it's all got to be electric so um, that's what that's what Montreal did uh, they have not to my knowledge banned wood stoves at this point yeah, well, it's so funny how they can just go from city to city and change the rules too. It's like they oh, make yeah. it a province thing or whatever, but it's still it's like I don't know. People have had those those things forever, and a lot of the, like you said, a lot of it's the primary source of heat. And when it gets cold, maybe that those uh, heat pumps or the uh, baseboard heaters aren't going to keep up anyway. So no, no. Anyway, especially Coming those to heat, a community near you. Well, especially yeah, those heat, heat pumps. I think it was below minus or below minus ten or plus ten. They really start to fall off a cliff for efficiency, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and apparently, so 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 I heard somebody said um, in another forum I was in. They said once they reach minus, once the, the outside temperature reaches minus twenty five, they're basically useless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's handy. Yeah, yeah, it happens here in Canada, right? Mm-hmm. Occasionally, occasionally, yeah, yeah. Not, yeah. This, not this year, not this year, but other years. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So moving on, um, in another. Nicely political move that is uh, talking about useless. Uh, Canada declares Flipper Zero public enemy number one in the car theft crackdown. Um, I will uh, readily admit I know nothing about this Flipper Zero, but basically what I've heard is it it can copy um, your, your key fob code, but your code rotates so it copies it once but the next time it goes to use it it's useless and it won't work and yeah i i'm not sure that i mean they're 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 wanting obviously the government wants it wants to make it look like they're trying to do something instead of doing the real thing and Mm -hmm. actually cracking down on car thefts and actually dealing with the criminals in a proper way they're gonna ban something that so I've heard is not very much responsible for many car thefts. Yeah, because basically you have to be like a perfect storm of situational stuff where you've got a, a car owner far enough away from his car to not activate the lock, but to be picked up on your flipper zero. So you can use that code to get into the car. But I mean, of course, that's where the Slim Jim comes in handy or just some some uh, porcelain off a spark plug if you really want to get in the car that bad. Mm-hmm. I mean... It just, it makes no sense. It's like, you know, just like anything else, whether it be the van of peace in downtown Toronto or, you know, the average mass shooting or whatever, it's like, it's the person behind the the item that's the problem, not the actual item itself. So mm-hmm. again, you know, banning banning a piece of equipment is not going to fix your, your, you know, human crime problem. No. Yeah. No. Anyway. No. And for my little bit of a news item, it's been in the news here this week that there's a number of municipalities across Ontario that have been suffering from drug overdoses, drug poisonings, Belleville's one. Uh, they actually declared a state of emergency, didn't want anybody going downtown because the paramedics and so on are having such a deal trying to de- deal with this because there's so much. 
Guelph's another one, Hamilton, another one. And there's, there's a number of them and they're all like, a, like <laughs> drugs that just become an epidemic and overdoses and just, we just need more free drugs for everybody. That's all I need. <laughs> yeah, free injection sites, everything else. Yeah. 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 yeah, Bring no, it on. yeah I was going to say, don't even get me started on those. those me neither. They call safe, safe injection sites where yeah. it's a place you can go and do your illegal drugs and nobody's supposed to um, turn you in or rat you out or do anything like that. I mean, mm. and, and of course, at the end of the day, all of that comes out of our taxpayers pocket, which is, you know, I, I would much rather my money go towards a detox, um, you know, getting them in and getting them off of the drugs to begin with, yeah. instead of just giving them free drugs and letting them overdose on it. And then yeah. having to pay all the healthcare costs and everything mm -hmm. else to, to do that. Um, yeah. I know that's not maybe a popular position on my part, but that's my position. So Same I've had here, quite buddy. a discussion with a few people on it and, you know, it's a very polarizing topic, but that's my position and I, and I stand by it all the way. So. Yeah. yeah. And it's uh, interesting how some countries can, you know, produce fentanyl or whatever uh, out in the open. It's not even a problem. And of course it, you know, creates a market over here, right. When it's illegal, because they banned a substance or an item and other people have the free ability to make it. And so sure enough, you've got organized crime involved too, which never helps. Mm -hmm. But, but anyways, yeah. The funny thing is actually I passed by somebody today overdosing in, uh, in Vancouver and yeah, it's just, just everywhere. So everywhere. Yeah. It's unreal. And of course, it's the the resources it ties up. I mean, I think there was like mm -hmm. six EMTs there. And yeah. so I'm like, that's just for one person. So like, I, I can't even imagine trying to be an EMT and keep up with regular stuff, like, you know, heart attacks and falling downstairs versus mm -hmm. all the other stuff going on too. Right. So yeah. it's a little extreme, but yeah. anyway, shall we move on to uh, what we've done lately for preps? Let's do it. Um, sure. I, uh, I did some food prep. I made, uh, I think I've mentioned it before. I love my Instant Pot. I did uh, three separate batches of chili in my Instant Pot. Um, I canned. Um, I know they call it canning, but you use you use glass bottles. I uh, canned two bottles just to as an experiment to see how it was going to work, what was it going to look like, all that. I think it worked out okay. Looks like the, uh, the bottles have sealed fine, everything. So I tucked them away, and I'll go back and check them out in a month and – if I'm not here after that, you'll know uh, why I'm not here. Um, <laughs> I did some fuel rotation, and I, uh, funny enough, uh, I picked up a ham radio for my truck from Eric, of all people. No um, way. I, I, I don't have it installed yet. That's, uh, that's the next project, but um, it's not much of a radio, but it's something. It's a start because um, we, we all know you can go down a super big rabbit hole um, with ham radio. So I'm just starting off really, really small and really slow and moving it up from there. Awesome. On this, on the topic of trucks and stuff, we need to outlaw reciprocating saws to prevent catalytic, catalytic converter thefts, says Gary. So yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, that'll yeah, do it. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, maybe we should just, just do a saws all registry. I don't know. Maybe that'd help. Yeah. Yeah. That's an idea. <laughs> Uh, as for myself, I just did a little fuel rotation. Unfortunately, I was uh, away from the acreage for most of the week, just doing uh, work stuff. But in the uh, small time I was here, I was able to uh, just emptying out one of the sheds because I'm going to change it from a like a tarp shed to an actual legit like you know steel roof you know wood beam shed. 
so I kind of had to, to clear up some space for that. And, um, you know, just trying in the process of cleaning up around the area, I had to do like a dump run and collect up all the trash that was kind of like clogging up the area. Um, and basically the other thing I've been doing basically is uh, prepping for a surprise podcast appearance that shall be announced next week. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, so that should be interesting. That should be a good one. Um, Eric said to say that he got his drone license. Well, of uh, course he did. Somebody has to be the teacher's pet, right? So that's, that's right. So, I mean, at least one person took up the challenge and he did it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he saved it for this episode just to let everybody know. And that's <laughs> uh, pretty much it for myself and, and Eric. Do you want to touch on your uh, your family's little medical uh episode and that's, how that's a, how well yeah. they did and yeah that's a good point how, how teaching that. your kids does is a good thing that's a very good point i forgot all about that there you go so last night i actually got a message from my daughter um actually i guess it was more like yesterday afternoon anyway um daughter just said she yeah, she cut off the tip of her finger and uh she's on the way to the hospital so it turns out uh what happened was both both of my daughters were in the same room together uh one cut off the tip of her finger kitchen accident of course and uh, so the other daughter is immediately knew where the first aid kit was uh broke open the first aid kit knew exactly what to do broke out the gauze the you know the vet wrap everything else put some pressure on it uh was able to get the other one calmed down into the car everything else right to the hospital and uh they didn't need to call the ambulance they didn't need to call anything else and they they knew exactly what to do there was no panic or no whatever. So they both kind of worked together as a team, got everything taken care of. And six stitches later, she's uh, looks like she's back to the same length of a finger as before. So that's a good thing. And uh, yeah, so it was uh, pretty good. The fact that like, because we had prepped them ahead of time with the first aid courses, what to do, pressure, you know, all the stuff and remain calm and all that stuff. And the one, the fact that the one was able to drive the other one, it was it worked out really well so mm -hmm. a little proud prepper dad moment yesterday so it was pretty good right on that's good yeah excellent no yeah. as for me the biggest the biggest, the oh, biggest part is the remain calm right as soon mm -hmm. as, as soon as people see blood they just panic panic and yeah no that was uh it was a good story. It was good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, I think the yeah. only commentary I got was like, here's what you need to replace from the kit and you know, spiced up my day. And that was about it. <laughs> so and I was just getting text message updates along the along the whole uh, course of the day. So it was pretty good. Yeah, you gotta like that one. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. As for yours truly here, well, I've been I've been working diligently about updating food stores. So I've, I've added some shelving and uh, I've picked up uh, a lot of freeze-dried food. And uh, just trying to get some more cans in place and so on. Kind of a kind of paranoid about the goings on in the world these days. So I've been doing my best to to fix that up. And with this drone conversation, oh, before I get to the drone conversation, I uh, I've also been updating some first aid kits too. After the have, having the Altons on last week and uh, talking about first aid and so on. So I yeah I took some of their tips and ordered me a few more items to put in my bags. And yes, I've been working on the drone pilot. I decided I was going to take a course before I, I tried the test. So I, I took a course from Coastal Drone out in BC. This is a very good course. If anybody's interested in taking a course to learn a bit of drone flying, um, I would highly recommend them, guys. I think they'll, you don't need it for a, an under 250 gram drone, but just like getting a, a restricted uh, PAL, I figured, well, I, maybe I'm just going to do it. Because one of these days they might decide that they're not going to let anybody do it anymore. So I just didn't get my license, even though I don't need it. So that's where I am. Fair enough. 
Uh, yeah, I guess moved on to the main topic. So, uh, I guess I'll start off here, but yeah, guys interrupt me for sure along the way here. Uh, I guess we started off about three years ago when uh, Hughes was still on regularly on the podcast and uh, Hughes was mentioning that out east it comes in very handy to have a drone for various purposes, whether it be like just scouting down uh, forestry roads or whatever. And uh, at first I kind of scoffed. I didn't think the, the drone thing would actually come in handy for preparedness usage, but I think it was actually on the podcast. He kind of convinced me on the go. So <laughs> I uh, I did a little more digging into it and I decided to get into it. And it's, uh, yeah, it's actually got a lot of uses. I was surprised. But uh, basically as far as uses go, it's limited only by your imagination. So like, like ham radio, I think it's better to, one of those things, it's better to figure out how to work these things now than to kind of break it open the package when things are actually going sideways. Because um, as you guys, well, I'm sure you've, you've tried it with your friends there, Jeff. So it's not exactly easy to control right off the bat, right? You kind of needed to learn how to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, like, uh, there's like a couple of basic controls to it and stuff, but it's, it's, it's just acquired skill set more than anything else. And so, yeah, it's just, I guess if you want to figure out how to connect it to your phone to record stuff or how to work the actual controls, it's just better to do it well in advance. So before we get going on the actual drone chat itself, talk about when and where you need a license. So like you mentioned, Terry, there's a weight category below which uh, no license is needed. And you said it's 250 grams? 250 grams or below. You don't need a license and you don't need to register your machine. Yeah. Go over that threshold and then all of a sudden the rules change and you, you have to have a pilot's license and or a drone pilot's license, and and then you have to register it with the good old folks at Transport Canada. Yeah, if I were just talking about registrations for the Sawzalls, but yeah, <laughs> so they got a drone registration. Sorry, my question for the weight then, Terry, uh, the two fifty grams and below, is that when you buy the machine that it's under that, or if you put say an infrared camera on it, or you put something else on it and it takes it over the weight do you now have to technically license it even yes. though the initial the initial machine was under 250. yeah it's actually yeah. The, the total takeoff weight so yeah, if you have a, weight. there's actually like some of these mavic models you could buy they're like 249.5 grams <laughs> so the minute you add anything you actually have to register it and have to have a license to do it and it's it's a weird thing it's not like max takeoff weight or or whatever it's just it's it's what it mm -hmm. is at the time so it's uh it's a very tricky situation because it can lead to some fines which we'll talk about down the road here too yeah okay. so i know with mine uh with just the basic battery you get about a 20 minute life out of the battery you, you can buy a, a higher capacity battery but once you put that battery in there you're over 250 grams because it's just a little bit heavier and so. by weird you know, it's about the same chance of getting busted by like the uh, FCC or something down in the states. You know, for the radio stuff. But if by chance some transport guy, Canada guy, happened to wander by and notice you had the oversized battery, he could technically give you give you a rough time, which is mm -hmm. ridiculous. But I mean, they could still technically do it. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, there is a weight category where you don't need license. Uh, after that, we talked about having a license up to the weight of twenty five kilos. So basically, from one pound to fifty pounds, you can as long as you have a basic drone pilot certificate, you can get away with it. Uh, above 25 kilos or 50 pounds, roughly, um, you're going to need a like a higher level of license, like the advanced, mm -hmm. or even get a special flight permit. Because at that point, you're talking about like Amazon delivery drones, like you know, not so much weaponized, but like you know, uh, I guess um, search and rescue drones, uh, you know, specialized 
items. Um, so they're going to have to not only have a higher level of skill required, but also just a, uh, they need to know you're out there because it's actually starts to become like a, a large enough weight that can become a hazard to airplanes. Mm -hmm. And so that's why they start like giving steps of weights. Cause I think, you know, at 250 grams, if even if you hit like a small single engine, like Cessna 172 or something, it's kind of like, like a semi-truck hitting like a smart car, right? It's not going to cause any real problem. But I mean, but, but in reality, it's like, yeah, once they start getting 50 pounds, it's like hitting a goose. And we all know, we've all seen bird damage on airplanes, right? Mm -hmm. So. Exactly. So anyways, like I mentioned, the takeoff weight, yeah, includes lights, camera, sensors, comms equipment, anything you attached. Or even if you have something that's like hanging from a string underneath the belly, that's still part of your takeoff weight. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, you got to watch that as well. Uh, there's two types of drones, really. Nowadays, there's the the fixed wing, which basically looks like a fighter jet, and they have a camera sticking out front, and you have to kind of you can put on some goggles if you want, and you basically get a first person view, and they go super fast, um, and they go super far. There's actually a, a video of a guy flying in one of those fixed wing drones from one Hawaiian island to another one. Now, don't ask me how he was able to keep that in line of sight, but that's neither here nor yeah. there. Yeah. But uh, anyway, but I think most people are familiar with these quadcopters, like these these kind of drones right here. And uh, the reason I think everybody likes these ones, I think you'll probably agree, Terry, is like you've seen them, the videos and stuff where they're more maneuverable. They can come to a stop in the air. Oh, you know, it's amazing what they can't do, yeah. Yeah, they don't really need a, like a takeoff area. They don't need to roll on the ground. They just like really come in just like a helicopter and just land straight mm -hmm. down. So I think that's why everybody's really liking those. And plus you can literally let go of the controls and just float there, So which is... yeah. It'll hold Pretty its cool. own. Yeah. yeah, where the one that the Houthis are using are always moving. So as soon as you you let go, it's going to start going off course or whatever. And so you want to make sure that, you, yeah, you're going to want to keep an eye on that at all times. So I could see why the quadcopters are definitely more popular. So yeah. um, let's see here. I mentioned the weight, but also if you're flying these things in a national park, as it stands right now, I'm not talking about like, you know, in emergencies or, you know, end of the, the world situation, but like in normal ops here, um, you can't fly these things in national parks without permission. Nope. Um, nope. Obviously, if you're within five miles of an airport, like in the actual ATC control zone, you need special permission uh, ahead of time, meaning you have to make a phone call, um, a phone call plus maybe a radio call. <laughs> <laughs> and depends mm -hmm. on where you are. Sometimes it just won't let you in there. Like I don't, I don't think you're gonna be like uh, finding one of these on short, uh, short final for a runway in Pearson or anything. So they tend to get a little bit upset about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Are, the other are, one that uh... are, being being somebody who knows a bit about the av aviation industry, Ian, do our drone incursions that much of a problem? Well, they were like originally more than uh, we think they were. Mm -hmm. or? They, they actually did some mitigation factors. So what happened was is some of the more later, like later generation drones actually won't even take off if you're in a control zone of an airport um, of a certain weight category. Like obviously the special purpose drones, they're like have a, you know, uh, a special sensor or whatever, or commercial operations. Those clearly are not going to be limited by GPS locations uh, because they're obviously professionals are coordinating with people. But the small drones like the DJIs, uh, like the Airs and the Mavics, the Mavic Minis and all that stuff, they literally have a GPS lockout. So and I don't think it's pretty easy to jailbreak those. Um, where if yeah, if you're like anywhere near runway in Pearson, you're not going to get airborne. Uh, it won't even it won't even do anything. I think it'll go up to about four feet and then it just stops. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, so you can like I guess you can you know uh, diddle around a little bit with the propellers and stuff, but that's about it. Um, so there's one thing. Uh, of course, now nowadays people are phoning ahead and letting people know that they're doing some drone work. So say if you're in like a not so much a controlled airport, but like a local airport, say out in the middle of, you know, Northern Ontario, like Owen Sound or something. And you talk to the tower guys 
they're going to allow you to fly and they'll just advise the planes coming and going that you might be like north of the runway below a thousand feet or something and that, that way they know where to stay away from and they just kind of have you know kind of i guess uh factors in place to mitigate everything hmm. so so there is some, and, some some workarounds now yeah and we're not allowed to uh like buzz fire if there's a if there's a wildfire going on you're supposed to stay out of that that area and I yeah. don't even think if if the police have got somebody pulled over on the side of the road, they want you buzzing over there doing a little recon. Inc. You could probably get in crap for that. Well, so but, there's a, there's kind of a catch-all legal term in in Transport Canada's stuff, and it basically says you can't basically annoy people, interfere with mm -hmm. people, or fly over people, like literally, like physically over them. So that's going to preclude you from bugging the cops too much. But also, yeah, every time there's a forest fire, they put out what they call a, a notice to air missions. They just changed mm -hmm. the name recently. And what they'll do is they will say from a, you know, a below a thousand feet within five miles of this GPS location, you can't go because there's forestry action in place. So it's helicopters or water bombers coming and going. So you're not even allowed in those places. And um, mm -hmm. there's also other restricted stuff. Like every time Justin Trudeau decides to invade stuff, like uh you know like you know hamilton <laughs> sheila cop center or something they'll those they won't allow you uh, to fly over there right and no the the parliament buildings for example have a cr uh, permanent like flight restriction area around mm -hmm. it so you're not allowed to go you know uh, kamikaze your drones in there like like anybody would because the drones are too expensive <laughs> yeah to so see you can't uh you can't do in certain areas for sure um yeah. if you if you are going to operate in the airport area not only do you need to be able to get a hold of somebody instantly on the phone, uh, but also they recommend that you have a airband radio, which, you know, some of these bow things, like these uh, these ones, the uh, UV-17s actually have airband on them. So you can actually, you can't transmit, but you can certainly mm -hmm. receive. And uh, because it's AM versus FM, it's not not every FM radio has these things, right? Um, so you can actually listen and see the other, or hear the other planes coming and going, which actually would help. So if mm -hmm. you are going to get serious about it, that's an option, just a bow thing, so you can listen in. Um, age limits. I think we're all mm -hmm. safely in the age limit zone. Like we're probably oh, yeah. old enough, yeah. So yeah, we're good there. <laughs> but if you are uh, over fourteen, you can get your basic. Uh, if you're over sixteen, you can get your advanced. Or just like firearms or anything else, as long as you're under supervision, you don't need license. You could technically operate as long as that person's license is right beside you the whole time and ready to take over. So that's a good intro thing if you really want to give it a try. Uh, getting licensed itself is not that difficult. Um, I, I'm going to put throw a couple links here in the, the uh, show chat in a second here, but there are Transport Canada notes that are available. Um, there are YouTube videos that are available that will actually like walk you through it over the course of half an hour. And basically, once you watch that, there's about a 99% chance you're going to pass the exam. So Don Joyce uh, has a great YouTube channel. And I'll throw the link in there like in a second. Uh, the main reason to get licensed nowadays, I think, is not so much that you want to get licensed and comply with a man or anything else, but you just don't want to face an extra tax in, tax in the form of a fine, right? <laughs> so mm -hmm. and the last thing you want to do is give more, more money to the state. So, I mean, I'm not saying you need it for, you know, zombie apocalypse purposes, but you certainly need it for everyday purposes just to get competent with, with working your drone, right? Because... I don't want to pay extra money if I don't have to. So, mm -hmm. so for the sake of 10 bucks, uh, 30, 35 questions, you have 90 minutes to do it. It's a 65% pass mark. And in reality, it's an open book exam. You get an instant license sent to your computer and a PDF certificate you can print off. And it's, uh, I think they've got 50,000 licensed drone pilots already in Canada. Mm -hmm. So it's certainly growing fast. 
So questions so far? Mm, not so no. far, I don't think. Well, we're pretty good, I think. All right. Well, after you've passed your exam and, and you know, uh, kicked butt on that, I guess, you're going to want to buy yourself a drone. Uh, we talked about the light ones. There's lots of ones available. Um, the DJI brand seems to be really popular with, with all sorts of various mm -hmm. uh, models available and everything else. I'm, uh, I think I might have totally screwed up that link. But anyways, that's, there's a bunch of them I just dropped there. <laughs> anyway, uh, so yeah, once you get that uh, plane bought, you're going to have to register it. So if it's over 250 grams, you're going to have to register it. You can do it online for free. I think the first time is free. And if you want to change the registration later or if you lose it, I think that it becomes a bit of a problem or something to get rid of that registration. They actually charge you to erase the registration. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you have to report it, of course, if you lose one because yes. it might be in the middle of an airport or something. Um, so you can certainly purchase one without having to register it, and you can certainly purchase one without a license, but before you actually go flying, all that has to be taken care of. Uh, another thing you have to have is a logbook. Two, technically, but uh, one, to keep track of all your flights, um, which I know sounds silly, and I'm not 100% in agreement with it, but that is the law of the land right now. Uh, the other one you have to do is a maintenance manual. You have to, every time you, if you change so much as a propeller, like if you just, you know, rip off one of these ones that just have like a little screw attachment, and because you ding the propeller on the side of a wall or something, you just put a replacement one on there. You actually have to write it down and, and make note of when it happened. And I think the reason for that is in case something goes sideways, they'll, they'll try and figure out what happened afterwards. But no fudging allowed. It is a legal document. Mm -hmm. So if you do go flying or if you don't go flying, you can't really say one or the other. And the reason, another reason to log stuff is that there's actually a recurrent, like a training requirement. So you have to actually go online once a year and, so once every two years, I can't remember. Anyways, and then just kind of prove that you've actually done enough work and then do like an online 10 question exam just to make sure you're still mm -hmm. kind of up on your stuff. Yeah, I forget how long it is, but you have to you know, requalify, right? Yeah. Um, Jenny mentions that this is the States for sure. Some people are using them for deer retrieval and location down here in the States. That's, yeah, we'll, we'll get back to that for sure on hunting because uh, it's, uh, it's a bit of a different scene up here for sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> to, to nobody's surprise, I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, uh, but yeah, before we get to actual prep uses here, a couple of no nos, just a reminder here, guys. Um, so, when you are flying a drone, it doesn't matter what how heavy it is, and certainly for our purposes, can't go above 400 feet above ground level. So, you know, um, basically it's 150 meters straight up. So, you know, we're talking like 30 story building type of thing, tops. And, uh, you know, so you'll clear the trees. And you'll probably get you know, a couple hundred feet above the trees. And that's about as high as you can go. Most of the drones nowadays literally have a height above ground kind of function. They'll tell you exactly how high up you are. And they'll even start giving you alarms if you go above 400 feet. Mm -hmm. Allegedly. I would not know. But I would just say. <laughs> they'll warn you. So Yeah, they'll tell you. Yeah, I mean, and in in all fairness, I mean, like I could be 400 feet above ground, then go over a valley, then also I'm at 600 feet above ground, and I'd have to dive down to maintain that contour with the land, right? So it's it's not intentional if it does happen sometimes, but obviously, not all of the time is the ground flat below you. It's going to be undulated. So if you're at that 400 feet limit, yeah, you could run into some problems, right? So uh, airplane, the reason for that is the airplanes are usually above 500 feet. So from personal experience, if you're in a sparsely settled area or like a like a just a non-urban environment you can actually like literally go down to 500 feet as as long as you're clear of cloud and clear of other traffic with a small airplane um unless you take off for landing of course then you can go lower but uh yeah usually 
they want to be at least 500 feet up. So that way, if you start going above 400 feet and you encroach upon where the airplanes usually are, well, then you're running into more problems, right? Mm -hmm. uh, there is a little toy now on these new ones uh, that you'll see marked on the box. It's called ADSB, like a Alpha, Delta, Sierra, Bravo. And what that is, is that uh, actually stands for Autonomous Dependent Surveillance, and B means broadcast. So what it is, is... Uh, I'm surprised I remembered that. <laughs> so what it is, is good. every airplane is sending out a little message um, via what's called their transponder. And it tells you their altitude, tells you where they are relative to you and everything else. So now if you're flying your drone, even if you're below that 400 feet, you're going to get a little warning now that will say, you know, bing, 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 airplane approaching. And so if you happen to be playing silly bugger, or if you're just a little bit worried about it, you can uh, bring your drone back into land. And it usually gives you about two minutes notice. And it was actually kind of funny because where I am, there's like no airports around and no nothing. And I was bobbing around the house here and I got the warning and I just brought it back in and landed. Not even a, a minute later, plane goes right over the house. So it's just like, all right. And he was well below 400 feet. So hmm. um, I wouldn't be hmm. that guy to report him or anything. But it was like very interesting. The fact that the drone knew there's a problem and he didn't even know there was a problem because their planes aren't equipped with the high tech gear that our drones have. So, cool. yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, another thing you can't do in Canada, no carrying weapons of war. So you Surprise! Know, yeah, it's in Canada, what are the odds, right? Yeah. Soccer! So, uh, yeah, so I mean, you see those uh, videos down in the States where the guy's mounted his Glock 17 to his drone, and he's, <laughs> he's, he's got steps where he presses the button and pulls the trigger, and he's able to like shoot stuff from his, his drone. Yeah, bit of a no-no here. No, <laughs> just, no. Just say it. It's not um, going to fly here. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to read that one out loud because I'm, I'm certainly not going to, um, yeah. Let's just say it, it's possible to go higher than 400 feet. Oh, yeah. Uh, allegedly from, from listeners. Allegedly. Allegedly. Um, he, allegedly, I've I've heard some, something similar myself, allegedly. But, yeah, yeah, especially, like, if you're in the middle of nowhere, like, I'm not saying what not to do. But clearly, it's kind of interesting to see how high of an aerodynamic ceiling they can actually have with these little propellers, these little electric, electric engines and stuff. Because all they really are is just, they're just, you know, winding generators that are sitting there in the outboard pylons of each arm here. And they're just spinning based on how much current is going to them. And it's a fascinating piece of technology, really. And, you know, considering the fact that propellers are only, like, what, five inches across? I mean, if they mm -hmm. can lift up a, a two-pound item all the way up that high that's pretty cool so a mm. uh, couple other things available in, uh, for your accessories for your drone uh, there are actually kits you can mount on the the uh, the drone that will actually like uh, kind of do a claw system around the drone actually has a hook or a or a drop system that you can actually there's a couple optional buttons on your controller that will actually allow you to drop stuff from your drone for reasons um, there's actually like a couple lights on these ones already here, but you can actually get a bigger spotlight you can have underneath and you can actually turn on and off a spotlight if you want to light up an area, which is kind of cool. Um, there's all sorts of accessories available online. Like, so I think you're only limited by your imagination there too. A uh, couple things with the drone stuff here, guys. Don't let your batteries flatten out um, because these batteries are not only expensive, but just due to the nature of how they're built, if they flatten out, they tend to be harder to maintain a charge later on. Uh, you can fly these things at night, and in normal times, the line of sight rule always applies. So if you're mm -hmm. flying it over trees, that might run into a problem. You might have to stand on your house roof to make it work. But uh, you're supposed to be able to always keep an eye on these things. So if it happens to 
well, nowadays modern drones, if they if they run out of a signal for controller, they actually they're they're programmed to automatically fly back to their original departure point in the land. But that's not always the case with some of the cheaper drones or some of the older drones, right? Mm -hmm. So the whole idea is that you're supposed to be able to always bring it back on your own. And like a real pilot, you're not allowed to drink for 12 hours before you fly a drone. No. Which, oh man, take all the fun out of everything, eh? Exactly. I was going to say, like, if you're on a camping trip and things happen and you're, you're flying a drone, and yeah, again, like somebody could like harp on you for that, but it's just yeah. kind of a funny. Yeah. This it's it's they're very strict about that with the rules, and I, you know, I can understand where they're coming from because they probably don't want people to get stupid and fly over people and buzz people or buzz wildlife or you know typical camping shenanigans, right? But um, yeah, that's they're very hard on that. So uh, last big thing is do not fly these things over people unless you're doing a advanced drone thing where you're actually doing a commercial op and you like you have permission ahead of time and all those stuff um that's uh, a big no-no in canada um yeah so the last thing we were gonna mention we kind of touched on it before there was drones for hunting uh generally a no-no so it depends on which province some provinces are, i think are still okay with it but um you know if you were using a helicopter back in the day you couldn't hunt within six hours of flying in a helicopter and there, there there's theory was that if you were like using the helicopter to scout a wildlife you couldn't just land and shoot and so they said you had to have a six hour wait between when you landed in the helicopter before you could actually go hunting well now that with these drones because they're so light and portable and you know you can actually launch them from anywhere uh you're actually not allowed to possess them in bc and i think you said the same thing in ontario terry yeah you can't you can't be hunting with one if you want to go at another time you can go flying and scout around and look for spots but you can't be actively hunting and having a drone with you or they'll they'll yeah they'll beat you up <laughs> yeah and i think that <laughs> the, well then that, in that case now you're dealing with a conservation officer which is actually a peace yeah. officer not, not just some transport canada we need so yeah um, you're dealing with the with them yeah, exactly. yeah the guys with even less of a sense of humor so um yeah so it speaks to the efficiency of the drones which is one thing for sure well, you're dealing also, with you're dealing with the same guys who will take your truck and your boat for catching one fish over the limit Exactly. They'll take your little drone too. Yeah, <laughs> and your firearms license and everything else. Yeah, and yeah. anything yeah. else yeah. that just might happen to be around. Yeah, but you had a good idea there, Terry. Before the show, you were mentioning that for for scouting purposes for ahead of time. Yeah, like like for me, you know, deer deer like acorns. So if you can buzz around once once the state leaves start to turn, the oak oak leaves always look a little different than everything else. Find yourself your patch of uh, oak trees. And oh, that's a potential hunting spot. So mark that on your map, and then then go back there later on and, and go hunting. That's what I plan on doing because I know, you know, you you can find areas uh, that, that have a good crop of oak trees, which means acorns and deer love acorns, and so do turkeys too. I think you do the same thing for a few critters, but that'd be great for that or finding you know a nice ridge or a location or or a, a nice spot that uh, might be a good place to set up a tree stand you know, on a ridge or whatever. It's great for doing a little scouting, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and we'll get into the other uses uh, right away here. But it's, uh, it is a, it's a fascinating tool when you think about it because like, it's such a different perspective than just walking along the ground. And it might be like just 10, 10 yards of trees and then there might be the big oak stand that you might never, mm -hmm. otherwise never have seen, right? So No, you wouldn't see it unless you're up there. Because once you're up there, then, oh, yeah, okay, there's a crop of oak trees over there. That's, Let's go and check that spot out, right? Yeah, you get 200 feet up, it changes your perspective quite a bit. Mm, sure. Big time. Yeah. Big time. All right, so uses for preps. Uh, took us a while to get here, but here we are. Uh, the big one, uh, you know, obviously the one that everybody talks about is the uh, 
visual scouting aspect. So that's what Hughes got me going on originally too. Um, most of these drones have 4K cameras or or better nowadays. I don't even know what the next thing is, but I think this one's a 4K. Anyway, so you're talking about like resolution and, and big zoom. Like you can like zoom these things out to an insane level, right? Mm-hmm. And if you take pictures ahead of time, you can always zoom in on the pictures later on and like, you know, kind of look at stuff. Uh, you can attach forward looking infrared radar. You can uh, laser radar if you want to like do a topography map of your area or whatever. The interesting thing is you can also put a giant overhead spotlight on. So if you happen to see somebody from a search and rescue perspective and you want to bring everybody in, you can just shine a big bright light and everybody kind of go towards the big bright light. So for search and rescue applications, I think Hughes even mentioned recently that they had an infrared one now that could actually spot people in the trees. Mm, no doubt. So, yeah, that's huge, right? And think about yeah. the manpower that saves and the, the, the man hours that saves. Yeah. That's, uh, oh, and Denny mentions that it would help with uh, trapping as well. He's looking, oh, yeah. for places, yeah, looking for places to set up. Yeah, yeah if you can mm-hmm. use it for uh, checking them as well. Yeah. yeah I suppose if you uh, if you want to see if your traps are actually, like if you had enough space to see if your traps are actually full, it would be, save you a big uh, walk or a uh, sled drive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you could. What I found uh, going up just trying to do a little photography is this time of year when there's no leaves on the trees, you get up up high like that and tilt your camera down. You can see right down to the ground. I, I was picking up ATV tracks, snowmobile tracks, people going through the bush. It's just, you can see all kinds of stuff down there. It's it's amazing. Yeah, so actually I've got a, uh, a thermal drone shot YouTube video I just uh, found today because I was actually kind of curious. So down in the States, of course, they're using this for hog hunting. And so mm-hmm. they're, they're flying around this thermal drone. And what they can see from the air is just insane. Like so it is, it's amazing what you can't see. Yeah. Wow. So from like a, a scouting purpose, it's just fantastic. So yeah. Uh, when you're going around scouting, of course, you can um, you know, record the video or the pictures right onto the SD cards that are in the drone. Or mm-hmm. if you're using your phone as a controller, which some of the drones do, some of them don't. But you can actually like just uh, click a button and save a picture to your phone. Or sometimes it's recording the whole video to your phone. So yeah. even if you lose the drone, you still have the video, uh, which is kind of cool. Uh, yeah. I'll talk, I'll talk about losing the drone in a second because I had a buddy that's lost one, which was actually pretty funny. Um, so obviously, in case of uh, emergencies, you could see intruders on the property, um, see over mm-hmm. the next bridge. Like uh, you know, you're driving down these one-way uh, forestry roads, and then you go up a big steep bridge, and before you go zorching over that ridge, if you're kind of concerned about the road condition or maybe like a, a roadblock or whatever, you can send that drove up drone up just for ten seconds and say, "Oh yeah, it looks good," and then bring it right back down and 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 take a look. Because mm-hmm. frankly, I think if you if you sent that thing ahead and it got shot down by a shotgun blast, I'd rather have the drone take that than myself. So it's a nice expendable kind of option to look ahead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. they're they're noisy. It's it's amazing how noisy they are. That's mine's just like a little mosquito, and uh, it's pretty loud. Like if you're buzzing around up not not too high, you know people could see it, and they they're not seeing it one thing, but hearing it. The little oh, yeah. bugger, the little the little bugger will disappear pretty quick. That little two hundred and fifty gram drone, and you'll lose sight of it real fast. But but you can hear it. So these uh this this air two that I got it um the the propellers have like uh, winglets on the end, so like they're curved mm-hmm. up a bit, and so they actually had a big noise reduction on these ones, which I thought was pretty cool because uh-huh. I I saw an air one, uh the original one, and it was pretty loud, and this one got a little quieter. So when you're four hundred feet up, yeah, you can still hear a little mosquito buzz, but it's not bad. But uh, now I guess the third version is like almost like the old airwolf tv show <laughs> it was or yeah. blue, blue thunder that was it they had whisper mode right mm-hmm. and uh yeah so like um it, i guess they are a lot quieter now so now you could actually be 400 feet up 
you could be over somebody they might not even know you're there which is kind of cool mm-hmm. and that can be good and bad you, you yeah you may not want them to know you're there for recon purposes or you want them to know you're there as a deterrent exactly yes. yeah we're gonna talk about that right off the bat too so yeah oh. i mean they, they, they both have a good good um good purposes right um Another thing for sailors, uh, sailboat users and, and regular boat users, if you're coming into a bay or whatever, you throw that drone up in the air, and now all of a sudden that, that log that's floating in the water just below the surface, you might not be able to see it when you're steering your boat, but you'll be able to see mm-hmm. it from up above perfectly. Yeah. And you'll know exactly where that, that log jam is or whatever that might take out your hull or whatever. So there's certainly a safety aspect when you're going to unfamiliar places. Mm-hmm. Um, spot that ambush. Uh, one thing the, the Ukraine war... Uh, I guess reports have been saying is that there's no safe space anymore, right? Like you can't just go in a trench. Nobody's going to see you or a foxhole. Now, thanks to drones, these things are bombing around constantly. And some of the guys are saying there's not even any point in digging a foxhole anymore because they know exactly where you are because the, the drones are just pointing out everything from a, just like almost continuous basis, like um, aerial uh, recon. Mm-hmm. So it's just, yeah, like I said, it's changing the face of like a small, small scale war like that for sure. Oh yeah. 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 So we mentioned the deterrent just a couple minutes ago there. So uh, presence of drones lets you know that you see them, and it makes the uh, makes them reconsider the ease of the target. So if you're like mm-hmm. sitting there and you might be by yourself, but if you have a drone buzzing over a group of uh, you know pirates or sitting outside there, they might be like, oh, okay, well he knows we're here, so he's he knows we're coming, so maybe that's not a good idea to to go in there. Um, it certainly speaks to a higher level of technology or preparedness. So if somebody was like looking for an easy, easy mark, maybe that's, that would deter them for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, this is actually some of the stuff a buddy of mine has done a few times. So message delivery, he's actually yes. attached a, a paper envelope with a letter in it, taped it to the drone, floated over the neighbors, dropped it off. <laughs> Neighbor gives him a thumbs up on the camera and then he takes off again. And then, uh, yeah, he's actually done that. Uh, he's attached a thumb drive so he could send a bunch of files over <laughs> stuff so like i mean who knows what what uses they'd have for these things but like i mean that's that's kind of cool um mm-hmm. one thing he was telling me about and i tried and it worked is you can actually if you have no cell uh service where you are you can actually send a message say on signal and just hit send and of course it won't go anywhere until you get a signal but he basically put his cell phone in a basket carried it straight up to the 400 feet and it was just enough to catch a tower and then sent the signal and then it received a couple messages then he brought it right back down mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah yeah, it's fantastic. So, and same thing, you've seen those uh, videos of guys doing um, repeaters, like uh, field expedient receivers with uh, repeaters with a couple of UV5Rs, where you set one up as a, the receiver, one as a transmitter. So you can actually do like an airborne, small scale, like repeater process if you needed to. So if you say if you had a couple of buddies hunting, you throw a, a repeater straight up in the, with the drone 400 feet, and then all of a sudden you got like a mini mountain you can go bounce signals off of. It's... Uh, Yes, yeah, it's really neat. Some of the stuff the guys have come up with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's amazing what they'll do. Uh, Eric mentioned the other day you could use the drone for like setting up an antenna if you want to take an HF antenna and like drape it over a tree. That's one way to do it. Because mm-hmm. uh, sometimes getting that that first wire over the tree is the toughest one to get. Uh, Amazon's taking this one to heart. You could do item delivery with a detachable hook or a basket, like I was mentioning before there. Um, Same buddy decided to try landing water balloons on hay bales. So he was able to come over and drop water balloons and kind of go around. So it's it's pretty amazing what you can do with these things. So use your imagination with that one. Um, Predator predator deterrence. So if you had like uh, coyotes coming into your farm field or whatever, 
Mm-hmm. Um, if you think that the pirates might be afraid of the drones, imagine what uh, how a, a coyote would react to something like that buzzing around them, right? Yeah, and that brings up another point about hunting. It's it's illegal to harass wildlife. Like predators yeah. would be one thing, but but to go harassing, you know, look at the eagle nests or something like that, or or harassing uh, wildlife or deer or moose or whatever. If you get caught doing that, you're a yeah, you're in doo doo. Farmer no, could I... probably get away with with doing uh, coyotes and so on. Yes, for sure. But oh yeah, no, I mean that. Of course, is mostly emergencies too. But say yeah. joke of the way, if you have uh, coyotes, you know. Uh go around the periphery of your uh, your fence for the sheep you get that air, uh, drone within 100 meters of him and he's gonna be like what the hell is that because if you see oh, the yeah. dogs the way the dogs and even the alpaca reacts to the the drone the, some of them are frightened some of them just memor- mesmerized by it but most of the people are like this is not cool they usually just end up walking away so mm-hmm. um yeah it's definitely something that animals are not used to seeing uh last but not least i was going to mention the uh, barter so if you i know is it a cool hobby at times but you can um maybe offer up specialized equipment skill set and emergencies like uh, finding somebody with your infrared or mm-hmm. you know maybe taking a look for somebody at something that they can't see otherwise uh yeah who knows but it's uh down the road you never know i mean maybe if they're drafting people you might have a, a skill set to keep you away from the battlefield you can be a drone operator and go live in vegas or something mm-hmm. just a thought yeah you never know these days yeah uh yeah non-preps uh leads into a photography hobby or a small business so Obviously, if you get good with the drone and you're pretty comfortable controlling one, you can start taking pictures for real estate companies. Um, I don't know how many times you've seen a, a boat for sale or something on YouTube and they do like a flyby and it looks all cool and mm-hmm. stuff. And yeah, the guys are making a, not a killing, but they're, they're certainly finding steady work uh, yeah. with drone photography. I don't think it's, you're ever going to be a rich man because of it, but it would be certainly no. better than nothing. Um, helps with the YouTube content. If mm-hmm. uh, Eric wanted to sex up the, uh, the channel a bit, I'm sure you could uh, put in some drone footage as well. And then other than that, uh, there is one last opportunity. You could actually start instructing uh, because there's other drone pilots that want to get their advanced ticket or their their special purpose ticket. And you could become an instructor where you actually do flight tests for these guys. And mm-hmm. these guys are charging like 200 or 400 bucks for, I think, for that test, which is crazy. But I, I, was, I did my advanced exam and I was going to go do my advanced flight test, but then I found out how much he wanted to charge me for it and since I have no intention of doing anything commercial with it, I was like, never mind. Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. I was, uh, I was kind of blown away by how much they actually charge for those things. So good for them. I mean, they're they're making a killing, but yeah, not Question. interested. Thanks. It, yeah. Questions so far, Jeff? Uh, no, just trying to absorb a crap ton of information and yeah, good stuff. All right, uh, some funny recommends for you. So, so recommended stuff for the drone, spare parts kit, mainly spare propellers, because call me crazy, but most people will uh, eventually smack one into a tree or a wall or uh, a person by accident or whatever. Nice. And you, yeah, you're, you're gonna, I you're threw mine into me one day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and like it, it, when, you're, when you're learning that skill set, everything's backwards. Like if the drone is facing yeah. you, if and, it's facing you, it's backwards. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you're like, whoops, I meant to go the oh. other way. And before you know it, you're like smashing into your own car or whatever. So, yeah, spare yeah. spare parts kit for sure, like with, which comes with extra blades generally, uh, as well as some other parts as well. Extra batteries. So most of these DJI drones come with a fly more combo. Uh, I, they might have changed the name of it now. But anyways, it usually comes with, instead of one battery, it's got three batteries. It's got charging yeah. station. It's got all sorts of stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, definitely worth it every penny because I think one of these batteries it's like buying a cordless drill right like 
the worst part is the batteries. So if you get the batteries on the cheap to start with, you might as well just get three of them. And that way you can like use one for flying and have the other one charging while you're flying around. And, and mm-hmm. it kind of extends your day a bit versus having to fly for 30 minutes, come back, wait for an hour for it to charge, and then you know, go ahead. So it's... And then the cold affects them too. So um, you, you won't have as long a duration for your flight as is on a warm day so if you got that spare battery there to pop in you go for a buzz come back pop another battery in and you can go flying so what what is the average flying time on a battery in decent weather like could you fly for like two hours or no so these this this one's uh it was at the time the highest one available is 36 minutes that's in ideal conditions as long as you're not like jigging and jagging too much around if you're just doing straight and level slow flight but so in, 30, 36 minutes, so basically like 15 minutes out, 15 minutes back, and you're... Well, that's where the line of state thing comes in. Uh, yeah. Just, I mean, but I mean, li- yeah. yeah, like, I mean, literally you could go a couple miles out, a couple miles back, no problem. Like, there's actually videos where guys, like, did, did full endurance of their batteries, and one guy did, like, eight miles out and eight miles back, and uh, then he, he was literally on fumes when he came in and landed, and he basically cracked into the field beside him. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, it's amazing how long some of these do last, but the new ones are even longer. Yeah. Um, so some of them are like pushing 45 minutes now. So yeah, that's pretty, mine's cool. about 20. I'll get 20 yeah. out of mine if I'm lucky. And, uh, but the minute you start doing like sharp turns or you go super fast, like max speed, yeah. and of course the, the endurance is going to go back, but every one of these ones has a battery readout. And mm-hmm. most of the, most of them, you have an automatic return to home function where you start getting below mm-hmm. 10%. It just turns the drone around, and starts bringing it back anyways. Cause you're, you're just being a douche, the doofus at this time. So, yeah. and because you could easily lose one in the bush and then it becomes a problem. So Danny's got a couple of comments here. Um, yeah, they could nicely use them for population counts. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, if you want to do a population count for people, deer, rabbits, whatever, certainly can. Yeah. I did, used to do them from a small airplane, but, um, yeah, if you were kind of curious as to where the big herd was or whatever, there'd be one thing you could check out months in advance or whatever. Yeah. Uh, line of sight communication, yeah, he mentions that for the repeater. And then uh, I didn't realize this, but down the States, if you shoot one down, they consider it the same as shooting a plane down with the uh, uh, Federal Fire Act. Mm-hmm. So that's only if it's a foot off the ground, and if, even if it's only a foot off your ground in your backyard, which is funny because we always joke about the Americans just shooting down the drones that come on my property because he owns my, my <laughs> castle, right? But yeah. I guess that it's probably a bad thing, so... There you go. But yeah, if we can learn anything from Tesla's that, yeah, uh, the cold will affect battery life. Yeah. Be careful with that. Yeah. Um, so on that note, um, uh, funny story. My buddy was actually taking some sailboat shots over the water. And I I think he had a pr- pr- problem with one of the propellers, but also as a battery thing. And the battery efficiency kind of fell off the, the rails. And he ended up putting one in the drink about 100 feet off the shore. Mm-hmm. And that gets expensive, right? Like, oh, know, yeah, over a thousand bucks down the, the 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 drain, literally. So, I mean, if you're gonna do that, if you're gonna be operating over water or whatever, you probably want to put some like uh, pool noodles on the bottom skids if you can. They'll actually help it float a little bit. You might be able to retrieve it, at least get the batteries back out of it or something. If if you if you ruin it, but um, interestingly, if you put it down in the bush, like if you if your battery goes down and it's down to like five percent or whatever, and just kind of sets down. Um, there's actually like a, a chirp that starts going off once it lands like that. It'll actually like chirp every 10 yeah. seconds so you can find it a little more easily. Yeah. And there are running lights on them too. So if it's nighttime, it's a little easier, but there is a problem. So if you, if you hit a tree and it crashes or whatever, they're usually recoverable. Uh, they might have to fix some damage, but that's about it. So, uh, recommended drones. What do you think there, Terry? 
Well, I like my little DJIs, I guess, but that's all I'm familiar with. So, and and they make a great drone. Like my goodness, the cameras are funny, are, are fanatic, yeah, fantastic, and uh, they're just so simple to fly. You know, yeah, I, fly. They're great. They just simple to fly. Yeah, I mean yeah. the the fact they have an app that comes with them, uh, that was, yeah. you know, kind of links into your phone and helps you control the things a little better. And I mean the controllers are are nice and compact relatively, and everything else you mm -hmm. get a little pair of joysticks. And if you can work a, a Nintendo game system, you can work one of these things for sure. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Basically, this the DJI Mini uh, to start with. I mean, I think they're up to a three. But I think they've even got a four pro out. That's yeah. like even they got a four pro now. That's the latest and greatest, and they're but, all under two hundred and fifty grams. So of those ones, the minis. Yeah, and I think the so, four pro has got even higher battery life now too. So it's like yeah, I think it does too. They're at least a half an hour over thirty there. minutes. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I was going to say always uh, the fly more combo, the extra batteries. Mm -hmm. uh, if you have a little more money and once and once you get into it, the the Air Three is a really nice one. I I would love to have one myself, but I don't. I don't. Um, see here so worst case scenario if you are really concerned about cost or whether or not you're even gonna like it uh costco of all places sells a really nice 79 dollar drone um that has like the 4k camera doesn't have all the bells and whistles but i see a lot of people flying them and they mm -hmm. seem to be really durable and they seem to be a relatively good quality product so yeah maybe just uh if you want to just give it a, a really easy entry like low cost of entry thing just go to costco and give it a try yeah. And if you run it into a tree, it's not so bad. <laughs> yeah, you don't feel as bad, right? It's, it's a good lesson to learn right off the bat. Yeah, um, don't want to do it with your $1,500 drone. Yeah, exactly. So I just threw an Amazon link in there right now if you want to grab a really, really cheap logbook right now. There's, um, I think it's on sale for six fifty right now. And it keeps you legal so you can show the guy when you were flying last if he does have, because they're allowed to inspect you just like anything else, right? If transport gang guy comes up and sees you mm -hmm. flying in a city park, he's allowed to actually ask you, to produce your license, produce your logbook, produce your maintenance record. So if you have it on Google Docs, it's one thing, or if you have it on you know a paper copy of your logbook, it's another. But they they have the right to ask for anything, um, just like mm -hmm. anything else. They can ask you to see your if you're over two fifty grams, they can ask to see your license. But if not, yeah, uh, Denny says I guess down in the states they have a good one at Walmart. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what brand that's like, but I like the one at Costco when they were flying off the shelves. So um, it seemed to be a good one. Uh, did you have anything else from your notes? Well, for me, I just got, uh, just like a lot of things in prepping, you can make things do double duty. We, you mentioned this, Ian, before for, for photography. I like photography, so it's kind of a hobby of mine. And, uh, okay, drone's great for photography, and it's also great as a prepper tool as well. Uh, that's what I was thinking about. Um, and, and as we learn more and more things with them, hiding from them is another thing. Uh, that that's probably a topic for another whole show. If uh, if the man is out looking for you, uh, how yeah. do you hide from one of these little buggers, especially if it's got infrared and so on? Right. That's uh, well. Now you're just space blankets else. and yeah, space blankets mm. and everything else going on. So yeah, it's uh, exactly. interesting. But even just visual, I mean, it's it's hard to hide uh, from uh, somebody straight up. If you're yeah. walking through the bush, you might think you're completely surrounded by trees, but in reality, you've got a pretty good vertical um, yeah. uh, viewpoint. So yeah, yeah it's amazing. So. It's pretty much when when I was writing my books there, uh, the last one I I used drones in it quite a bit, and I did a lot of research on them there at what the military uses for drones, and I I wrote about some of that in in my story, but but yeah, it's amazing what they can't do, and and the military's got these little wee guys that 
that that your platoon level guys can have and they just send these things up and go flying and they can go out and spot where the armament's set up and where this is set up and where that's set up and then they well, put your lasers on them and guide in bombs and whatever like it's, it's amazing what they can do well it's amazing i think they're hand launched too right yeah they're hand launched just yeah. a little guy black hornet drone you can you can google that and I'd say it's just a little wee guy. I, I forget how much it weighs. Maybe it's nothing. And, and just, they loiter for quite a while, too. Like, it's not just half yeah. an hour. It's like a couple hours they can sit there nope. and loiter for, too, right? And they can have a thermal camera on them. So you can spot where their people are dug in and and uh, spot equipment. And so, okay, we, we know where the bad guy They're right over there. And just call in the artillery or call in a bomb strike and bing, bing, bing. Hmm. You're not risking anybody's life to spot anybody. It's quite amazing. What's the name of your third really? book again? uh retribution this one's called ah, retribution okay yeah, yeah I, I i i can see them in a in a shit hit the fan scenario like you mm. said Terry, for for being able to uh see where where maybe you know if somebody's going to be approaching your house or approaching your coming up the street doing whatever yeah mm-hmm. it'd be uh it'd be a great thing to have Oh, yeah, because you can see, bring that thing up 400 feet, and, and you can see a long ways what's coming. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's quite a great little reconnaissance tool. And again, seeing, you know, if, if you can see what's going on, whereas the other guy can't, then it gives you a hell of an advantage. Right? Or even just like something as simple as like a, you know, you're, you're evacuating from a forest fire, and you want to see how the road mm-hmm. ahead is, if it's getting overrun yeah. with flames or whatever, and you can... You can see the flames for five miles away. So I mean, it's like it's, uh, it's just amazing the the perspective change a couple hundred feet makes. Oh, big time! Big yeah. time! Yeah. Well, podcast challenge time. Okay. Sure. So, uh, we'll pop uh, the link up there for the uh, thirty-minute video. Watch the thirty-minute video and get your license. Yeah, that's that's one of Don Joyce's uh, video, and he basically pretty much guarantees you'll pass after you watch 30 minutes so it's not that much time out of your life anyway i gotta watch that because i haven't <laughs> yeah no it, I, it's really it's really good he's got some you know gentle piano music in the background and everything else so it's just mm-hmm. nice to sit back and kind of relax and do your thing there so yeah. the uh, with the, the course sorry for interrupting but yeah. the thing about taking the drone course was is it really gives you a lot of information on the regulations and and what what you can do and what you can't do and where you can fly and where you can't fly that Instead of just watching something that'll help you pass the test, it'll give you some knowledge that'll keep you out of trouble, uh, which is a, which is kind of important. Well, it's yeah, I get the only you know, it's the Wild West one as soon as there's an emergency on, but yeah, like in the in the interim, if you're trying to learn how to you know run these things properly and and get mm-hmm. really skilled with it, yes, you kind of got to still behave. So it's it's very yeah. important to know what you're when you're misbehaving. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, and it's not an expensive course. It's. Um, I think it was like seventy dollars or something like that. Yeah, and, you know, and different people have different learning styles too, right? Like some people like like the lectures, some people just like watching a video, some people like you know just just hitting the books, right? And so yeah. whatever whatever works for you for sure. Yeah, the old gray hair here, he doesn't absorb stuff that quick anymore. So I better I better go through it a few times. <laughs> I, think we're, I think we're all with you on that one. So. <laughs> um, right on, upcoming events. Okay, so we got the annual preppers meet. We flog that every week. Mark it in your calendar, July 11th to the 14th in Desboro, Ontario. Uh, you can Google the Frontier Ghost Town uh, on, on Google, and that, that's where the venue is going to be this year. It's our 10th anniversary, and it's going to be is a super still... exciting event. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Terry. Is it still in Desboro? I thought they found a new spot. 
or is it yeah, kind of it's, around it's, the same area? It's close by. It's close by. Oh, it's close by. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's all in the same, same neighborhood. This frontier ghost town is just another concession up or something. I've never been, I haven't seen it okay. yet. I got to get out there, but yeah, it's close by Perfect. same, same area. Okay. I think Denny should yeah. join us on that one. So you should, uh, since he, since he's here all the time on the show, you should go, at least pop over. I don't yeah, think. Got, mm-hmm. got to pop over. We, we'd not, like to see everybody there. And it's not a big drive for him. So anyway, oh, yeah. I've got a, uh, let's see here, the Comox 2024 Ham Swap at Flea Market, uh, the most Western ham fest in Canada. Uh, April 21st, uh, 8.30 a.m. Uh, public uh, starts at 10 a.m., I guess. And it's uh, called the Maryville Hall, which is just north of uh, Courtney. Anyway, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so it's uh, any questions, there's a website there. It's, uh, or uh, sorry, email, sells 795 at net. So if anybody has a question about that, I, I'm probably going to try to make it there for sure. So, um, yeah, weather blurb. Yeah, so um, as I mentioned last week, there was a substantial warm-up over the upper Midwest, the Ohio River Basin, and the Great Lakes area. Uh, numerous uh, record high temperatures were recorded. Uh, some broke records as far back as the 1930s. Um, so there was, uh, it was a lot of warm weather. I'm, I'm in central Ontario and we hit double digits. Um, the only exception of course, was the, uh, Maritimes, uh, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, Prince Edward Island. Uh, they were on the cold side of the system and they got snow and lots of it. Um, uh, mm-hmm. there were some areas that exceeded a hundred centimeters, uh, especially around the Cape Breton Highlands area. Uh, good news is at this point, I'm not aware of any storm related fatalities, uh, however, there were reports of people being stranded in their homes for several days. Mm-hmm. And what I'll get to in a second is, unfortunately, they are not out of the woods yet. Um, there is increasing confidence in the development of a nor'easter uh, developing over the east coast of the U.S. for early this week. Um, there's even the possibility that it could reach uh, what's called bomb cyclone status. Uh, basic short story for that is... Um, a bomb cyclone is a low pressure system that uh, drops 24 millibars of pressure in 24 hours. And that and it, um, and it sounds cool too, right? Oh, cool. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah it sounds cool. And, and actually it, it's uh, it can be fairly dangerous, especially if, if you're in uh, a snowstorm area, because obviously the deepening of the low pressure, the more intense the storm, but again, the, the more the low pressure system deepens, the the more rush of air you're getting from obviously everybody knows mm-hmm. air goes from high pressure to low pressure so the lower the pressure the faster the air is trying to get from the high pressure to the low pressure um and a lot of times if it's if it's a snowstorm and it's a bomb cyclone you're probably going to be in a blizzard um mm-hmm. you know the, the winds are going to be that substantial um they're talking places like new york city uh could see a couple inches uh, Boston could see six to eight inches, which is uh, a pretty good storm for them. It's been quite a few years since they've seen that much snow. Um, unfortunately, the precursor to that is the storm has to come from somewhere. And right now it is down in the deep south. Um, there's a blocking high over the Great Lakes, high pressure and and the way everything spins. it uh, The storm track is dropping down. It's going under and then it comes back up the coast. So right now it's down in the uh, in the warm area uh, in the deep south. There's several tornado warnings in effect actually right now. I was just watching uh, 
uh, live stream just before we popped on here. There's several tornado warnings in effect um, in South Central Mississippi, Louisiana, maybe even over into Alabama. Storms will continue to move to the east and a little bit to the north. Uh, we could see potential impacts into Georgia, Florida, and even South Carolina for later tonight and into tomorrow. Um, I'm not aware of any tornadoes that popped off tonight, um, but uh, tomorrow I wouldn't be shocked to see a couple of them pop off. I think the the parameters are are there. They're a little bit stronger uh, into Monday, so we'll we'll just have to see what happens. Um, and then as it moves up uh, the East Coast, as I said, areas like uh, New York, Boston, maybe even over into areas of Pennsylvania um, are, are going to see some snow. And once it uh, gets up to where the Maritimes are, um, they're, they're not exactly sure of the track. There's, I mean, Nova Scotia is going to get something for sure. Um, it's going to get hit. The exact line of the storm is still in flux. So I'm saying they could see anywhere from 10 to 30, maybe 40 centimeters and potential blizzard conditions. Again, like I mentioned, due to that bomb cyclone and uh, the gusty winds. Uh, right now, there's a big difference in the snow totals between two of the major forecasting models that we use. One is the HRRR and the other one is the GFS. Uh, the HRRR is showing the storm moving up the eastern seaboard and kind of going right underneath um, Nova Scotia and that and dropping some substantial snow. Uh, I'm talking 30, maybe areas of 40 centimeters, uh, even up into um, New Brunswick. While the GFS uh, shows it, once it gets kind of north of New York and into the Boston area, it makes a hard right turn and goes out and there's only a glancing blow on uh, Nova Scotia and they're only calling for 10 to 15 centimeters. Um, this is overnight Monday into Tuesday. So there's still, you know, 24 hours for things to kind of come in line. Um, hopefully they don't see, uh, the massive dumping that the HRRR is putting on them. I mean, if it was me, I'd love it. Um, but they've, they've had their fair share and they're still digging out. So I don't think they would be happy to see another 40 centimeters, mm -hmm. but it, um, it's, it's there. The potential's there. Uh, once this whole storm system kind of moves out to sea, the, the cold front drops down, we're going to see um, a drop in temperatures for, again, the Ohio Valley, mid-U.S., Great Lakes. Um, we're looking at the potential for some snow in the Great Lakes Basin uh, on Thursday. How much is hard to say. I'm going to guess somewhere between the 5 and 8 centimeter window, which isn't very much. It's better than nothing. Um, there's not been a lot of chatter about lake effect snow, uh, but personally, um, I can see some developing, especially since right now we're only at a 9% ice coverage for the Great Lakes. Mm -hmm. And at this time of year, we're normally in the uh, low 30% for ice coverage. So the water's wide open. Again, everybody knows you get the cold air uh, aloft over and you have enough what they call fetch, which is... The, the, the distance that the, the wind moves over the warm water, if you, the fetch is long enough, the temperature gradient is enough, um, you get lake effect snow. And considering, like I said, that there's only 9% ice coverage, the Great Lakes are wide open. So there's nothing to stop um, a pretty good 
um, lake effect snow event happening. Do I see a, a, a significant one happening? No, but I can see I can see it developing, and I can see some areas in the snow belts in Ontario maybe getting ten to fifteen centimeters. But I, it, who knows? Like I said, they're not forecasting it, but I I wouldn't be surprised if we got something. Fair. Well, there you go. So hopefully mm -hmm. the week turns out well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, deal of the week. Uh, explosives, you say. Uh, Tannerite is 50% off at Cabela's right now until uh, Valentine's Day. So, yeah. I mean, <laughs> get your explosions on it. Okay, now, now, why is it on sale just before Valentine's Don't. Day? Just asking no, for a friend. Just asking for a friend. <sighs> Love hurts, yeah. man. Love hurts. Yeah. <laughs> mm. So, yeah, no, it's... um. I've never seen it that cheap before. So if mm. your range allows it, or if you have a backyard range like Denny, probably, uh, <laughs> get your Tatterite and, and enjoy yourself for once. Mm. Um, yeah, link below in the show notes as well. Uh, shout out to this one. is a quick shout out to uh, YouTube's Don Joyce. I've mentioned him a couple times there. Uh, he has a Facebook page called Don Drones On, which is pretty good. And uh, yeah, inspiration for a lot of the, the reference material for today. And the guy is very knowledgeable. So mm. yeah. Uh, thanks again to Don for that. So, uh, email review. Terry, if you wouldn't mind covering that first one. Okay. Well, we got a, a mail from Brian. I'm pretty sure I know who Brian is. Regarding episode 210, the an annual Preppers Meet highlights. Thanks for the mention to me and Eric. Uh, I had a blast catching up with old friends and associates at the Preppers Meet and making some new ones. The annual Prepper Meet is always my favorite prepping-related event of the year. This annual gathering and training event is one of the best places in Canada for a newbie or a seasoned preppers alike to connect with the people and products they need to take the next steps in their preparedness journey. So cheers to you and the Canadian Prepper Podcast crew. That's from Brian. Right on. Thanks, Brian. Uh, I got one from Danob, who's probably one of the original OG preppers for the Canadian uh, online preparedness scene. So uh, mm -hmm. Danob from the Canadian Preppers Network uh, says... Sorry to have missed the live stream once again. Always great to hear from Joe and Amy. It was a great podcast. So thanks, Tom. That was great. Uh, other than that, guys, well, I think I'm going to bring episode 230 of the Canadian Prepper podcast to an end. Uh, you can find the audio podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Please submit a review. It helps uh, encourage the algorithm to promote us and lets other people find the show. And we do record these shows live on uh, YouTube. Uh, Facebook, as long as you're not Ian, uh, if you want an early peek at the shows, please subscribe to the uh, YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast, and click the notifications tab. That gives you an alert when we are going live. Anybody wants to reach out to me, you can contact me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca, or I am frequently on the Discord. And for me, you can reach me on the annual Preppers Meet Facebook page, or you can email me at terryllblackmore at hotmail.com. Right on. Uh, you can reach Ian directly by emailing me at theislandretreat at gmail.com. You can also find me recording on Canadian Patriot Podcast. We're live on YouTube recording Monday evenings at 9 p.m. Eastern, as well as iTunes. Uh, I'm also mainly on Gab for online appearances. Uh, it's got an app and a website. And on Gab, there's two groups, uh, Ham Radio Canada and Homesteading and Preparedness Canada. Uh, there you can find us discussing why society has us constructing the HK drones and the airborne repeaters for future use. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, be prepared, stay safe. And keep learning. Night, folks.
As we wrap up another insightful episode of the Canadian Prepper Podcast, we want to extend our gratitude to our listeners for joining us on this journey of preparedness. Remember, the key to survival is knowledge and readiness. If you want to support the show and engage with our community further, consider signing up for our Patreon and joining our thriving community on Discord. Links are in the description. If you enjoyed today's episode, please don't forget to subscribe, share, and leave us a review. This is the Canadian Prepper Podcast, signing off. Until next time, be prepared, stay safe, and keep learning.